How does understanding kidney cancer become a beacon of hope for an entire family? What's it like for a child when their parent faces a chronic illness? And can we reclaim the word cancer from negativity to strength? Hi, and welcome to Kidney Cancer Unfiltered, the podcast by the Kidney Cancer Association, diving deep into the raw stories of kidney cancer patients and survivors. I'm Anna Maria Scotcha, your guide through the real unfiltered experiences that often go untold. Today, we are joined by Stephen Edwards and his daughter, Lysia Edwards, who unravel these questions for us. Join us as they share insights into the emotional journey of living with cancer. Stephen sheds light on what he truly wants to hear when people learn about his diagnosis, while Alicia guides us through supporting a parent during this challenging battle. Together, they explore the pivotal role of communication and the importance of providing outlets for children navigating their parents' diagnosis. Join us for a powerful conversation that offers inspiration for managing emotions in the face of unexpected ongoing challenges. Stephen, Licia, I'm so grateful for you joining me today. Can you introduce yourselves and your story for our lovely audience members before you dive in? Yes, Licia, do you want to go first? Or? Sure. Um, my name is Licia Edwards. Um, I'm a competitive swimmer, and my dad has had cancer since I was three years old. How, how old are you now? I'm 16. Stephen? I was a journalist for almost all my life. I did become a teacher a few years ago. Um, and as a journalist, I was at 9-11 and completely engulfed. And uh, from that developed uh, the kidney cancer, which has been certified as uh, originating at 9-11. Mm -hmm. And we found that out in um, 2010. I was discovered uh, incidentally, as they say. Uh, I was being... Uh, scanned uh, because of some uh, uh, abnormal readings after a complaint of uh, food poisoning mm. and um, uh, it turns out that there was nothing abnormal uh, other than the fact that they in incidentally found a tumor in the kidney in the left kidney which I had out that was in 2010 um, uh, but five years later uh, we now know that it reappeared or um in the in the pancreas and it had spread from there from uh, through lymph nodes abdomen chest um i've had nine lesions in the brain i've currently got uh, progressing kidney uh, progressing kidney cancer in the abdomen various lymph nodes and in the calvarium which is your skull so um i gave up um journalism and became a teacher largely because uh, I uh, wanted enough time to do as much research as possible to try and be involved with and somehow guide as well um, my own treatment uh, in conjunction with oncologists and try to be one of the exceptions uh, who get out of this. There are exceptions, even though there's not a general cure. Well, under the World Trade Center uh, program, you, you do have access to a therapist if you want one, I, I use that. Um, it's been somewhat helpful. Um, I find the best therapy for me, though, is becoming informed, doing as much as I can, 
going to uh, speaking with uh, oncologists and other other experts, uh, the other specialists that we'd need uh, with a measure of authority. So I'm able to ask the correct, uh, the, the best questions and and understand the answers that come back. I find that that gives me uh, solace a, a little bit. It, I guess it, it's a feeling of empowerment. And um, I would urge everybody to really not just take the direction, go to the doctor and say, what do I do today, doc? Go to the doctor with as much reading as you've done. And you can't learn this stuff overnight. It's lots of little bits, bits of reading, reading reports, not understanding words, looking them up, understanding the words that are in the definitions that you have to look up as well. So you're looking up definitions of definitions of definitions, but eventually it is just a language and you will start to master quite a lot of the vocabulary. And when you are able to ask these kind of questions, you, it's like my, my being a teacher now, if you've got a kid who's very eager to learn and has done extra homework, you're just attracted to that kid as a magnet for helping him or her more. Mm-hmm. Because you know that they're really going to be soaking it up. And uh, the doctors are a bit the same. I feel as though you can get more, or doctors should be treating everybody equally. But And I'm sure, you know, on a, on a certain level they are, but quite naturally, if they see that you are really, really working hard at it, you're often going to come to their mind. And I think you get a little bit of better, better feedback gaining knowledge that empowers me um somewhat um and helps with the emotional side the emotional side is tough though because it's essentially a terminal disease for most people and i do want to talk about that with licia with your experience now you were only three when he first had cancer and so you watched him as you grew up and were coming to age talk me through what you know, what you, your first memory of it, right? You know, at three, you're not really recording your memories, but as you're going, growing up, how did the experience unfold for you as his daughter? Um, I just remember it when, I only remember it when he got re-diagnosed. I don't really remember anything from when I was, from earlier than that. Um, But I remember when he was getting re-diagnosed it was just so stressful for me and my family of course we we would I was just only thinking about that like every time I went to school or anything that's all I would think about is like my dad getting re-diagnosed with kidney cancer especially since it's kind of like false hope because we thought he had like gotten cured but now he just got re-diagnosed with even worse because it turned into stage four kidney cancer yeah, that's what Lysia means by re-diagnosed. Of course, I was diagnosed in 2010 we, when the tumor was discovered. Obviously, we have, like most people, we have a nephrectomy. Mm-hmm. And, um, but uh, seven years later, it was discovered uh, in other parts. It turned out it had been apparent in the pancreas even in five years later. In, but those scans... Uh, it had been missed by the radiologists in those scans, mm. uh, sadly, for two years, the, the lesion in the pancreas. So in 2017, Lysia would be then um, 10. Um, 
Yeah. And um, well, 11, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, so in 2017, that's the re-diagnosis, namely you are now stage four metastatic. Yeah. Mm. I think I was just going into middle school when he got re-diagnosed. So that's pretty much because I can't really remember anything that much before. And were you able to express to your father how you were feeling? Like, how did that come out for you in terms of, you know, your behaviors? Were you able to speak? Like, how did you navigate it? I tried. I didn't really speak to my dad that much about it. I tried to pretend that it wasn't there, really. So I was in denial. Um, but I, tr- I did speak to my siblings a lot because... We're all really close. Um, my siblings and I, we're really close. So we just talk amongst each other a lot and we just cry with each other and all those things. That's, they're like the reason that I got through it, I would say. The uh, the thing is we're in a New York apartment or a Manhattan apartment. It is fairly small, obviously. So even if I'm not... Um, giving all the dire details in uh, in a talk with a family, uh, people can overhear phone calls <laughs> and other things. It really can't, no secrets in a New York apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, um, that actually uh, informs me a little bit how Alicia was affected uh, at that time and thought about it at school and so forth. Because with her being that young, uh, I would have thought at that time it was all going over her head. Clearly it wasn't, you know. We talk a lot more now, but she's six years further on and uh, takes an interest in it and what I'm doing. So um, I hope you don't mind me getting a little bit personal for a second because it does go into my other question. So as you know, I'm also a kidney cancer survivor and a native New Yorker, by the way, so... New York to New York. Um, and, you know, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer over the summer. And so it's two cancers in a short period of time. And I have an eight-year-old son. And I can tell that it bothers him more than he's able to articulate because of how his behaviors have changed. And we had an honest conversation where he told me, honestly, he acts a certain way because he's afraid I'm going to die of cancer, right? And his little brain, you know, this, even though I'm okay, and I'm cured, if you will, it's still a very intense thing for you as her father, as you were going through this and you watched her grow up, did you, even if you didn't know it was because the cancer was impacting Lysia, did you notice changes in her? Were there, and how did that make you feel? Um, I'm not sure I'd noticed changes uh, because all three, we have three, I have three daughters. Um, they all have their own personalities. They have changes mm-hmm. from year to year anyway, whether there's cancer in the family or not. And um, uh, I, so I'm not sure that there'd, there'd be specific changes where I thought, oh, she's very worried about the cancer. But, you know, kids at that age, they change every year anyway of uh, by, by just by virtue of growing up. I think Lysia's fortunate that she had two older sisters who are very engaged as well and they're all very close as she said and um um yes uh you know they were able to give each other emotional help and support and it sounds like they did and i'm i would have guessed that they did and known that they did as well i know this is 
talks a lot to both of them. Um, also, I just remembered when I was in, I think, elementary school, that was before you got re-diagnosed with stage four kidney cancer. I believe you had a different cancer at the time. Yeah, I have had several cancers, all yeah. coming from 9-11. Uh, the others, mm -hmm. uh, skin cancers in places that are not necessarily um, where the sun shines. Uh, so in other words, they've been put down to 9-11 um and so um at the time they were worrying although they're all cured now mm -hmm. it feels as though that was nothing now and i'm left with the one that it's a lot harder to get rid of but at the time so like anything you've ever got at the time is always really stressful so you don't know which way it's going to go you know yeah so um yeah, so I've pretty much been busy, even in that period from 2000 to two, 2010 to 2017, when there was no reappearance of the kidney cancer, I was still, I was never really at rest because I had repercussions from the original surgery, uh, which I had to have a further surgery to fix. I had the uh, two other cancers. I was never actually, at, I've never actually been at rest since 2010. Mm -hmm. And then when, of course... I was actually just thinking I've got to, in 2017, I went out and had a final surgery, uh, Long Island Jewish, uh, for something that basically fixed something that had been created by the original mm. nephrectomy. And I thought, finally, I'm over. I can get out of this because the, the cancer hadn't re knowingly reappeared. Remember, I told you it was in the pancreas. Mm. But we didn't know. And I'm literally going home from that meeting. And I got a call saying, we've sat, found something in your chest and you've got to come out and check it out. It was unbelievable, the timing. I'm going, and that thing in the chest did turn out to be RCC. And uh, then it was also found in the neck and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually we looked back at the old scans. I changed hospitals. We looked back at the old scans that I'd kept. And it, it had been there in, in the pancreas for two previous years. But uh, it, it was almost like I'm on the way home. Here I am on a trip home from Long Island Jewish to I think I got to Chinatown. And that was joy because I'm telling myself I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I've got over seven years of medical pressure, medical worries. And the phone comes in saying, you better come in because we want to check something out in your chest. And it's I wasn't totally worried at that time, but it was just like, oh, no. And of course, it did turn out to be the RCC. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say it must have felt like a gut punch, but you just, you know, you just said that it's like at first, but you were going to, what were you going to say? No, no. Oh, sorry. Lissy was going to speak. Yeah. Um, I was going to say when I was in elementary school, I think I was, I would like show my emotions more, especially at school. Like if other students would like mention like even the word cancer. I remember one time someone just mentioned the word. I think, I don't know what context it was in, but I like ran to the bathroom crying. And then I remember one of the like lunch ladies, like she's like a teacher there or something. And she was like one of the lunch ladies and she like came to me and I was like crying in the bathroom. And then she asked me like, what happened? I was like, oh, my dad has cancer and then she was like oh but he's gonna be okay right and then I just had to like pretend yeah yeah 
We do know that people say uh, things that are very um, uninformed, and I try to correct them. Like we 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 at the Kidney Cancer Association, of course, we we try to encourage different language. I mean, cancer is still used as a metaphor for the ills in society. Mm -hmm. Is the the cancer of the economy or something, you know? And I like I point out actually when I hear people talking like that that cancer is not a metaphor for other things it's actually a disease especially at stage four that it's killing people and it should be respected as such and um so as i react when people are talking use the word cancer in inappropriate ways uh, uh political correctness hasn't got to that kind of language yet it's all on a lot of other aspects of our lives uh, but political correctness you know people are still freely using on every night news night show Yes, he's the cancer of politics. No, he's not the cancer of politics. He's uh, a wayward politician, and cancer is a terminal disease if it's stage four, usually. Yeah. But um, so I think we have to sort of stand up for that kind of talk. Um, but uh, and I, th I think that empowers us a little bit as well, you know, helping change things. Yeah, I think a lot of people, also students my age, also talk like use the word cancer really freely and like to make to crack a joke or something and that always upsets me and it's always um it's always really hard going to school on 9-11 school because every teacher talks about it and the school where I go to is pretty close to um where it happened so um, they always share their personal stories, but of course it's always like happy in the end or something. Mm -hmm. So they're always saying things like, oh, my friend, she woke up late for work. It's always very similar stories. And it kind of feels like my story is like being diminished when they say things like that. Obviously it's okay for them to share their stories, but to me, it just makes me feel sad when it's in the context of cancer it's basically saying subliminally um oh if you're old it's kind of okay you know you've yeah. had your life uh if i was to say i was 42 oh that's really tragic but if i'm just to say i'm 82 it's just oh well you know it's not so bad they wouldn't say oh it's not so bad but they would be thinking that that's the only reason that's the only reason i can see why somebody would ask a person with cancer how old they are is to sort of see whether they've had what they interpret as a full life or not mm -hmm. and it clearly is more tragic if a person's young than if he or she is old um older but uh, let's face it, it doesn't i i'm a certain age now and i don't feel i'm ready to die yeah and i think there's this just assumption that telling someone they're a warrior, they're strong, or they look good is supposed to make them feel better because cancer is so heavy, right? So it's like, oh, it's let's make them feel good. Like they haven't changed, but it's like, maybe I'm not feeling so good. Maybe I'm not, you know, to me, not looking so good. It's, you know, you can't make that assumption, you know, uh. for me. And I think for myself, hearing that, like those kind of platitudes, I know I would internalize a lot. And then it would come out in my relationships or my friendships. Did you experience anything like that where you may be internalizing things that you didn't express or, or became a point of contention within your own 
you know, family unit or support system? How did you manage that? I actually think uh, one of the best things people can say, although I have read other can- cancer patients saying they don't like this, but I just think one of the best things people can say when they first learn is, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I've read that some people don't like that. I don't, I think I'm sorry to hear that is perfectly fine. You know, I mean, we are, we're all, I'm sorry, I got it as well, you know. Um, but um, but at, at that stage, you know, you don't really, gone are the days for me when in the past pre-cancer, when I would wake up in the morning and think, oh my goodness, you know, I've really done, I'm doing great at work, kids are doing fine at school. You'd wake up in the morning and you think everything's great, you know, when you've got everything in order. Now you wake up and you, you know, you've still got this problem and it's not going away. You can't move away. I can't move to Scotland. I can't move to Provence in France, which is where I did want to end up um both of those places actually but <laughs> i'm attached to the new york hospitals now even the you're so brave well this mm-hmm. is what a brave person is a brave person is a person that sees a burning building and runs in and brings people out because they didn't have to run in we're really not brave we were actually we're stuck in the, we started off in the burning building it burned yeah. all around us you know, uh, yeah. we might not be brave, actually, because if we were on the outside, we might not have run in. That's a brave person. But we're like people who got caught in the circumstance, in this case, cancer. So even things like that are um, a bit, they're just a bit odd. I'm not saying that I've suffered all day because somebody says that, but it's not really, it's not really a descri- description of what we are. You know, I don't know whether I'd be a brave person if I, you know, I wouldn't volunteer to have cancer. Yeah, I want to say how I also get like unnecessary comments I feel like um because when I was um I don't know when this was I think this was like freshman year so like ninth grade or something like eighth to ninth grade um like I told I told this girl who I thought I was like friends with like a school friend or anything um and then I told her how I was like really stressed out and then she asked me why. And I said, oh, because my dad has like stage four kidney cancer. And then she was like, but everyone's stressed out, though. So it just like it kind of like diminishes everything. Yeah, I feel like. That kind of like forced me, like, I don't like telling other people more about my emotions then. Like, I think I kind of back away from that more, especially if I like I'm telling my friends anything just because of like one experience I feel like that's um that like forced me to kind of push away my emotions more and did that impact the way you relayed your emotion to your parents or your dad and how you were feeling did you just did you feel comfortable I know you said that you didn't really talk to him about it but did you ever feel comfortable to talk to him about it or was there any type of fear around that um I typically don't tell my dad like how scared I am of his cancer I usually he usually tells me like all the negatives of his cancer and then I try to like say something positive I'll be like like for example he told me oh I wish I could see the rest of your life or something like that Mm -hmm. and I said and then I said um but you can like that's what I always try and like make something else positive even if it's not what I'm actually thinking. That was a good answer, actually, but you can. And I, I did say that, actually. 
but if you do sort of have more positive thoughts, I think more positive uh, uh, feelings in you can come. And sometimes you can just do it on a short term basis. Like I am actually worried about having large numbers of years cut from my life, but I know I'm not going to die this weekend and I'm not even going to die this year. Right. But yeah. certainly, for instance, we recently went to Canada to see members of the family and friends. And um, I just said to myself, I'm just going to enjoy myself because I'm going to be here for two weeks and I'm not going to die in any time, two weeks. So just put it aside, your cancer, and um, just act as if it's it doesn't exist. And I think you can when you sort of do it in short bursts like that. Nothing's going to happen to me this weekend. So why am I going to worry all weekend, you know, that I've got calvarium lesions? BC, has that helped you manage your emotions and how you're processing the cancer? I don't really go to church or anything, but I spend my time more doing swimming when, so like when I'm in the pool, it's kind of like, like therapy for me almost. I can just like, it's like having a blank mind for like two hours straight. So I think that really helps, keeps me sane and also with schoolwork as well on top of it I feel like that together really helps me and also um I really enjoy singing so I'll just like sing really I'll just like sing your emotions I guess so those are like two hobbies I guess that I do and if you just really put your emotions and all your anger out and frustration that you're feeling into whatever it is that you're passionate about. And I think that that really helps. Now, what about your two older sisters, right? Do you um, all still talk like daily? And I know you had mentioned earlier, is that something that, um, is it like daily conversations? How, how are they kind of managing it? If, if Not to necessarily speak for them, but kind of just how your dynamics as siblings you know, plays out and what do you do together individually other than maybe just talking? Um, Both of my sisters are in Canada for school right now because they both are in college. So I can only really FaceTime them, but I try to call them as much as I can. Um, Sometimes it won't be daily as such because I have like so much schoolwork um, and swimming, as I said before. So sometimes I'm not able to call them, but I try to call them as much as possible. And sometimes that is daily. It just depends. And we all, I feel like now that they've gone to college and my dad's cancer is like more settled, I guess, like he's had it for longer. Um, This his stage four kidney cancer. I think we talk about it less to each other but we kind of know it in the back of our heads but we kind of try to override it with like positive things that we did that day or anything or talking about school we try not I don't, I wouldn't say we try not to talk about it but it just isn't in our topics of conversation when we're um now that he's had it for six years stage four eight years Eight years, my bad. <laughs> yeah. 
I did want to go back to what you had said earlier regarding the comment of, you know, you wanting to see Lucia just grow up essentially and Lucia saying you can. Um, so for me, that's something I know deep inside and I've cried about with my partner, you know, when I've been in active cancer is like not seeing my son grow up. It's just such a deep fear when you have those moments with your dad where he's opening up in that way, does that help you understand him more and his emotions more of what he's experiencing? I think it definitely does. Cause obviously I'm not the person that has cancer. So I feel like the only way you're going to get someone's actual review is of the person who's dealing with it. So I think it definitely does help. Sometimes it can make me really depressed for the rest of the day but overall like knowing someone else's emotion and just having someone open up to you like that I think is always a benefit even if it makes like for me even if it makes me like sad I think it's important to understand just what someone else is going through especially if they're family yeah and I would love to get more into that about having those conversations what would you say to other, you know, cancer survivors, cancer patients, although I like using cancer survivors for everyone, but like cancer survivors um, and who's going, who are going through it now, or maybe are having trouble and they've been going through it for years. Um, what would, what advice would you give them in terms of having conversations with their loved ones or their support system, or even, you know, people outside of their support system who are still part of their lives? I think explaining what, you're going through I think that every time you talk to that person you shouldn't bring it up every single time because that obviously it's just like sometimes you just want to have positivity and if you're always making it negative even if it is a fact that about having cancer um so I feel like not bringing it up too much like not bringing up every single time you talk to that person I think is important but I think every once in a while um or even if it's just every other time you talk to that person you just talk about how you're feeling and really opening up to that person with about your emotions and even the sciencey stuff that goes behind all of your treatments because I personally like my dad tells me about what treatments he's having it makes me feel like I'm informed and I have more control over a situation that I don't have control over so it makes me feel more confident in it yeah so before we head off do you have any final words any final pieces of advice maybe anything that you didn't get to say that you wanted to let me have a look at my little notes um <laughs> uh, I think we've gone over most of it you know empower yourself educate yourself I like the book it's very easy to understand a hundred questions and answers about kidney cancer. Anybody can look it up. It's only about $20, a hundred question and answers about kidney cancer. It's very simple. And it gives you a good grounding on how the, the biology of it. You don't have to be a biologist, uh, a good ground of the biology on it, of it. And from there, you're going to understand more about what the doctor's talking about. Yeah, I think it goes back to what Licia said, and I know you said earlier, there's that that empowerment aspect of like knowing and being informed, even if you're a caregiver or part of a support system, having, making sure to educate yourself makes you feel, 
I think it can, like you said, empowers you, makes you feel more informed. I think there's a certain calmness that comes with that when you actually know what's going on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this. I It was such a pleasure to Absolute chat pleasure. with both yeah. of you. Of yeah. course, I, I'm really grateful to hear your story and everything like that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Kinney Cancer Unfiltered, brought to you by the Kinney Cancer Association. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get episodes weekly. And if you like the show, we'd love it if you left a review. It really helps others find us. Thanks again for listening. For more information about kidney cancer, visit the Kinney Cancer Association online at kidneycancer.org.